Hey guys, my name is Ben Berman and welcome to the Starting It Up podcast where I interview all types of entrepreneurs uncovering actionable steps and inspiration that you can use to build your business, your side hustle, whatever it is that you're trying to create and live the life you've always wanted. On this episode, we talk with Steve O'Dell, who's the co-founder and CEO of LA-based Tenzo Tea. Tenzo is on a mission to create a better world by sharing the healthiest energy on the planet and donating one year of clean water for every bag purchased. Steve has dabbled in the entrepreneurial space while in college, and after learning about the benefits of matcha, knew that this could be a huge opportunity. He and his co-founder went on a Karate Kid-style trip to Japan, where they found a tea master and learned how to create the perfect blend of matcha tea. Two years later, Tenzo Tea is in over 400 stores around the LA area, has a robust network of online and wholesale distribution, and has raised over $1 million to date. We talk about how to capitalize on trends in the market, what the future of health consciousness looks like, how to position your startup for a successful exit, and more. Hope you all enjoy. Here it goes. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking with Steve O'Dell who is the uh, co-founder and CEO of Tenzo Tea. Uh, it's a really cool company capitalizing on uh, the importance of uh, and, and the health benefits of matcha. Uh, they're about three years old. I'm going to hand it over to you, Steve. Give us you know, a better description uh, around exactly what Tenzo is, and then just give us uh, an intro into, into the story of, of how this was founded and, uh, and why you decided to start this company. Awesome. Well, first off, thanks for having me, man. Um, great to be on here. Uh, to give you guys a little background on Tenzo Tea, like Ben said, we are about two and a half years old now, and um, we specialize in selling a blend of matcha green tea. And for those who don't know what matcha is, it's a shade-grown powdered form of green tea. Um, so instead of traditional steeped teas, where you steep the tea leaves through a bag, and with matcha, you actually blend it with whatever you're drinking or making, so you consume the full leaf, and it is the healthiest way to get caffeine on planet Earth. Quick question: In terms of like the actual uh, caffeine intake, um, how much can you actually get from from matcha tea relative to like a regular green tea or uh, something like coffee? Great question. So I was like a, and this goes back to the first question and um, why did you start the company so I was a big caffeine guy um, and I was drinking a lot of coffee mainly yeah. cold brews and then like pre-workout before you go to the gym and then I would also occasionally have like a, an energy drink in the evening if I'm like working late and so Sheesh, yeah yeah so I like literally the, the company started when I googled like one day after too many cold brews I googled what's the healthiest form of energy and um, discovered matcha and what I learned was that the caffeine is one, it's comparable to a cup of coffee. So one teaspoon of matcha or about two grams is roughly 75 milligrams of caffeine. Mm -hmm. And then, so that's like your espresso shot. And then, but with matcha, you can always add like another scoop um, if you want to double that or triple it, you know? And, um, and so the, the caffeine is pretty comparable. Um, it's about like one teaspoon, like I mentioned, 75 milligrams is about, eight to 10 times as much as, as um, traditional steeped green tea. And that really comes from the fact that instead of steeping it through a bag, you're actually ingesting the full leaf. Gotcha. Very cool. So, I mean, I feel like it might just be me, but I've started hearing about matcha a lot over the past one or two years. 
was this something that has always been around? And if so, like, why is it just now kind of, you know, coming to the forefront and, and having, um, you know, companies be started, uh, especially forward, and then just people start talking about it? Great question. So this is kind of unknown, but matcha is actually like a really, really old form of tea. And it goes back thousands of years in Japanese culture. Um, and so it's been around for a really long time. But right now, and, and sorry, and even if you go to Japan, like I, I was just there two weeks ago, matcha is literally everywhere. It's in cakes and cookies and pastries. It's in, it's on like every street corner. It's in, it's like the number one drink in 7-Elevens, you know, like it's, it's huge. And so the question is really like, why is it now just coming to the U.S. and the rest of like the rest of the world besides Japan? And I think that this is a product of, the like natural functional beverage health and wellness space as it, as that category continues to grow. Um, things like what, what's traditionally CSDs or carbonated soft drinks in the industry. Think of like Pepsi, Coke, Dr. Pepper. Mm-hmm. Those drinks are actually have been declining in sales for a number of years now. And so customers are more health focused and more health oriented and they want drinks that have the same benefits um, of like those old carbonated soft drinks but with like a functional benefit. So much like the soft drinks, matcha tastes really great. Um, gives you a little bit of caffeine, which is what everybody wants, um, but it doesn't have tons of sugar. It's super good for your body. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. And, and I think like everyone can kind of see that, you know, it's not really encouraged to be drinking soft drinks like that anymore. I feel like it's really only acceptable now, like if you're going out and you're just mixing it with alcohol, but... For the yeah. most part, I think it's like getting frowned upon, um, kind of like using a plastic water bottle in a way at this point, yeah. which is it's really interesting to see just a giant cultural shift. And, and I'm always like fascinated by like what the catalyst for, for those kinds of things are. And I'm guessing like, you know, regardless of what it is, it's definitely good for, for you and, and, and for, for this business. Uh, you kind of pick the perfect time to, to get into it. Was that a product of like you understanding that this was a good time to get in or did you just really want to solve that problem that you had and then coincidentally it just you know happened to coincide with this uh, dramatic uh, shift in the way people are thinking about their health and wellness great question so I learned like a pretty painful lesson in college where I tried to start a company that was horribly timed and what I mean by horribly is like it's like the exact wrong time so we tried to do like a, an on-demand printing company at UCLA. So a lot of mm-hmm. kids still print papers. Like I had to print out a ton of papers every quarter. And um, we actually ended up getting a lot of orders, but it didn't really make sense. And the, one of the big lessons that I learned was like, why would you start a printing company when the world's moving digitally? So from there, I have like this like really ingrained lesson about the, the importance of timing in a business. And so before starting Tenzo, I went on this website called Google Trends which yeah. for people that don't know, it shows like aggregated search data around key terms. And the graph for matcha was like sky up and to the right. And I was like, holy, holy crap, like there might be something on here. Like if, I, if I'm in the category of people that like really believe and seek this, this healthy energy, um, there's a good chance that others will be too. And so then uh, that was actually one of the, the biggest reasons we, we made the leap. I mean, that, that's a great point. I think uh, Google Trends is, is something – it's so obvious, but it's it's overlooked by a lot of people. I first heard about it when I was uh, kind of starting to dabble in the e-commerce space. 
and literally all everyone says is just go on Google Trends and like find like if it's not trending and it's not if it's not going to be trending it's going to be an uphill battle and you know it's it's just there's there's other options out there so I think I think that was super smart and and to go back to your earlier entrepreneurial experience I know you you had started a company in college uh, it looks like you had also started a uh, another company in college that uh, odd job bros um, yeah. <laughs> which actually looks like it uh it might have done you know fairly well like what led you to to starting these kinds of businesses like was this um was this like something you were just you know passionate about you you you, did you just want money? Because because it looks yeah. like you're a history major. So like, what led you to to do that? Good good question. Um, well, it, even like going back to high school, I was always like sort of entrepreneurial, but I didn't think of it at the time. I just like tried to like make money for myself. Yeah. Um, but in in high school, I was like mowing lawns and shoveling snow, and then in college, I was really really focused on volleyball. So I was on the men's division one team at UCLA, and that takes up a significant amount of time, and um. But yeah, so I went home one summer and my uncle gave my cousin Jimmy um, an application to work at Burger King because he said we needed a job. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what the, like, what? We're not doing that. And so what we did was we met the next morning and we didn't leave. We were met at a Starbucks and we didn't leave until we had like a plan of how we were going to make more money than what he could do at Burger King. And so we started this company called Odd Job Bros and we pulled like, this is my first growth hack. And it's like a, it's a classic one. We gave, so like odd job bros is just like basically painting, moving and landscaping to give a little context there. Mm-hmm. Um, so really simple jobs, not a lot of learning curve and not a lot of upfront, upfront capital. And so it made a lot of sense for us. And um, so we paid the mailman $10 and he passed around several thousand flyers to everyone wow. in the neighborhood. <laughs> and, price. Uh, yeah. So that was like amazing distribution, you know, but to, to anyone listening, like that is illegal. Um, you can't do that. Like it's literally a, an abuse of federal powers because like, you need to pay for postage. So we got a few emails that were people were like, yo, like you can't do this. Like, what are you doing? And we, we apologize. But we also got a lot of emails from people that said, we would love your help painting this, or we need help moving or we need our lawn mode, whatever it was. And, um, yeah, so we did a really good job with that, and we scaled really fast, and we made we made twenty thousand dollars in six weeks, which wow. was like pretty, it was a lot for us at the time. And so we, I went back to college at UCLA, and I was like, holy crap! Like I'm now an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's awesome, and I th- I think that's like a great lesson for anyone listening. It's like a perfect example of uh, ask for forgiveness instead of asking for permission. Um, you know, like, especially when you're, when you're so, especially if you're younger and if you're just starting, like, I mean, there are things you can do that can lead to like big issues, but like for the most part doing stuff like that, yeah, it's frowned upon. It's not really allowed, but it's better to then say, oh, I'm sorry, I won't do it again and have, you know, actually gotten somewhere than to potentially not do it at all. I mean, maybe not necessarily giving people advice <laughs> to do stuff like that, but yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I think we we see it all the time with like so many different companies like they do something that might have you know crossed some kind of line but it works out and then people forget about it uh moving forward as long as it wasn't like actually that bad um yeah yeah it's, it's malicious it's not like we're trying to abuse the government or i was like oh like i'm so annoyed at the us government i'm going to go ask the mailman to hand these out yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly it's for the good of the community 
Yeah. Um, cool. And and I think so to go back to Tedzo, I, I know that you guys, uh, you and your and your co-founder to to actually learn about this whole matcha thing, you flew to Japan. Uh, and when I heard about that, I, I don't know if you're familiar with like the, the Nike story uh, with Phil Knight. Yeah, um, I love that. I love the book. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's like it's probably one of my favorite books. Um, that just it was like a parallel. It just reminded me a lot of that. Um, so could you kind of just talk a little bit about, you know, what it was like to to go to Japan, learn from a team master and uh, what, what can people learn from like your story that they can apply to, to themselves uh, and, and their potential businesses or current businesses? Yeah, well, so that, that's a really, really good question. And I could talk like answer it in a lot of ways, but I think the most meaningful one was that when you're starting a company and it's not like a novel idea, and in most cases, it's not a novel idea. Um, one of the key answers that key questions and answers that you're going to need to come up with is, how can you differentiate? And so matcha is not all the same. Um, it comes in a wide variety of grades and qualities, and you can tell this in the, in the taste and the color of, of the matcha itself. And so what that meant for us is like, we wanted to create a matcha that was super high quality and that came, that came across in the taste and color of the product. Um, and that, that was like a key differentiator from us for everyone else was to create our own proprietary blend. And also like, one little known fact about the matcha market is that it's like completely controlled by these three main suppliers and like almost every brand in the grocery stores comes from just one of these suppliers. And so it's like we have done a really good job and a lot of the growth behind Tenzo has really been from partnering with this team master in Japan. He's a super great guy. He's like a mentor to me now, but um, we, we just created something that's super special and customers recognize that. Very cool. How, how long were you in Japan for? Uh, well, I've been three times now. Um, yeah. So I've been there for like almost a month, I would say, in total. Oh, nice. How, like, so I'm just like curious, like how did you find this team master? Did you just yeah. like look them up online? Because it no. sounds like, I mean, it kind of sounds like the whole like karate kid thing. You know, you're going out there like yeah. seeking a master, but I'm, I'm guessing it was like a little different. Well, I, I don't know. It, it, this is like, this is like the, this is one of the craziest things that's ever happened to me. And like in my whole life, this is stories like a movie. So yeah, we, we went to Japan, like in search of like finding matcha, you know, and we spent several days there, visited several like of the well-known suppliers, like the three that basically run the industry and some other people. And then on the last day we were in the Kyoto train station and I literally was just on my phone, like tea farm. I literally Googled like tea farms nearby and we went to one and what happened was it, it wasn't like a farm. It was just this shop. And in the shop, there are these two, this old Japanese couple. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't speak Japanese, Rob doesn't. And so we were like trying to, and they didn't speak any English. So we're like pointing at maps, like pictures, like trying Google translate on our phones, basically at anything we could do. And, um, what happened was we were like, we left and we didn't get to go see a tea farm with them right there. And um, we started walking to the next one and it's like 20 minutes away. And so 10 minutes into the walk, a black SUV pulls up next to us. The driver side window goes down and it was the old man from the shop and he motions to us, doesn't say anything, motions like get in my car, like, kind of like waves towards us. And um, sounded like Tokyo Drift. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> 
we looked at each other and we we're like, all right, like, you know, like traditionally, like you don't usually talk to strangers, nonetheless, like get in a car with a random guy. But we looked at each other and we were in Japan, you know, you only live once and we had to find, we, we were still on the hunt for matcha. And um, so we got in the guy's car. And for the next several hours, we drove around to several farms and got to pick leaves with the farmers, talked to a bunch of people, took a lot of pictures and really just learned about the product and, and the processing. And um, that was crazy. That was like out of a movie. And so, but we didn't know anything was going to come of it. But um, we gave the guy a business card. And then two hours later, we're literally on the train to the Tokyo airport. And it was like, we got an email from this guy's boss. And um, it was insane. And then um, we met him again a few months later in the US. And um, we worked together to create a proprietary blend of matcha. And um, that is now Tenzo Tea. Wow. All right. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like this this will be a movie one day. Uh, if Tenzo just keeps, you know, it well, blows no. up and, uh, and everyone knows what it is, like, I'm, I'm sure of it. Uh, that's crazy. I mean, like, and it goes to show you never know uh, what can happen. And kind of my philosophy around things is, like, just do a bunch of stuff because the more you do the the higher chance that that something works out or just something interesting happens um it's like insane like who would have thought that you would have just ran into this random farmer who then finds you on on the street in a car like it's none of this makes sense but uh but it's, it works it's out awesome yeah yeah um, like um steve jobs has this really great quote it's like you can only connect the dots looking back and mm -hmm. It, it's kind of like what you said. You just need to put yourself in the right environment and the right situations and learn from what you do. And eventually if you're around long enough, like you're going to get a stroke of luck or a chance to be like an opportunistic moment. And if you seize that, that can make all the difference. And for us, yeah. like that was that critical moment where we had a product that was truly unique and we could go into shops and wholesale locations and put Tenzo against any other matcha and we'd win. And it's like that, that's, that's really been a, a major key to success. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it really just a, a great example of like how you can create your own luck. Obviously you have to get lucky in life, but you know, putting yourself in a position to get lucky drastically increases your chances. So it's, it's a, it's a great lesson for everyone to kind of always keep in the back of their head and, and just think about it. Like whenever you're doing something. Uh, so I know you now mentioned like going into stores and, and, and wholesalers, um, in terms of like sales and distribution, where are you seeing the most success? Because I know this is like, it's it's like a cool product. So you guys are definitely doing online sales, but right now, uh, what's your distribution looking like? Like where's most um, of the growth coming from? Is it, you know, are you putting this in stores? I, I know you are, but like, is it com going from the stores? Um, or yeah. is it a lot like direct to consumer? Good question. So. This is a really unique and special part about our business, but it's actually very split. Um, so we have about 50% of our revenue comes from our wholesale locations and another 50% is uh, direct to consumer. And most companies have like an 80-20 rule or some other, some other yeah. ratio, but Tenzo is pretty special in that regard. And um, the, so like for distribution wise, in terms of the wholesale accounts, we have about 400 locations in like the LA area literally can't go more than a mile without finding Tenzo. Even within like one, a one mile radius of my apartment, there's, there's nine locations, you know, right. and so there's tons of density. 
I don't know the exact number of cups per day, but I think we're doing around 50, maybe a little more than 50,000 a day in LA. Um, and awesome. then, yeah. So that said though, we are just starting to move. We're moving into corporate pantry in LA. So if you want to get mantra for your office or if, if anyone listening around the country wants to do that, feel free to reach out. But, um, yeah, trying to get more revenue in LA while also expanding slightly outside of LA. Um, what that means is like partnering with a few key distributors in like these metropolitan areas or regions. So like the PAC Northwest, like the New York City, the Northeast, and then maybe a few select parts of the South. Um, but yeah, we're, we're approaching that as just focusing on like really big deals, large accounts, universities, chain stores, things like that. So, so when you think about um, expanding, because right now you're you're mainly in LA, but when you think about expanding to other areas, what goes through that decision? Because for I like for me, I'm just thinking about it. I've never been in the physical products, um, especially food and beverage like business at all. Like I would just think, you know, go to San Fran right away, go to Colorado, you know, just all around. Like, how are you thinking about this, and, and like, what's the reason for? Uh, it seems like you're deliberately, you know, kind of like taking it slower than you could. Yeah. So that is a really good point. Um, like one, um, the biggest, by far the biggest factor for us is and our strategy and th this differs company to company, but we want to be, we want to build up a lot of brand equity in the regions that we're in and we want to guarantee a perfect cup every time. And so, if you look at a lot of the best beverage companies um, of the last year, like the last 20 years, let's say, like mm -hmm. Vitamin Water, Zico Water, um, those two are the, the really the biggest ones. Honest Teas, another like 100 million plus company. Um, I've spoken with the founders of all these companies and some of the investors in them as well. Yeah. And the, the critical component, what they did super well was that they had extreme like hyper density. So Mark Rampola, the founder of Zika Water, I spoke to him the other day and he was literally, he loves our strategy just because we're hyper dense, you know? And what that says is like a customer, let's say you live in LA and you live in West Hollywood and you go to Carrera Cafe. It's like a really popular one that we have. Um, and you get a Tenzo tea. And then you meet your friend in Santa Monica at Espresso Cielo and you see Tenzo again and you're like, wow, I just saw it twice, no way. And maybe you spend the afternoon in Venice and get um, get some food at Great White. And you're like, no way. Tenzo's in all three spots. Like, what is this company? It's, this is nuts. And so by doing that, you build up like a, a precious aspect of what it means to be a brand. And what, what I like to say is like a true, a truly great brand. What's so special about it is that it holds a little place in everyone's head. So people will remember you, they'll recognize you, and they'll see you and they'll support you. So we wanted to do that really well and, and really focus. And then also part of the strategy is like you get really, really good at selling it. Um, so we know how to guarantee quality across 400 locations. Um, and matcha is kind of hard to make. So that's a, that's a pretty big win. And then you also get a ton of eyeballs. So, and then you also like learn how to sell it. You learn why people would say no and things like that. Um, so that's been kind of like the strategy for us. And then it's, it's been like really really slow to move out and like kind of the methodology we follow at Tenzo is like you don't want to make the easy sale you want to make the right sale so focusing on really really good accounts that do high volume have great brands that that's really interesting like I, th I think you're it's just a different level of thinking that doesn't seem obvious 
but it looks like it's it's paying off. So I mean, th- things it seems like you know things are going really well for Tenzo. Uh, you know, I want to ask like, what are your biggest challenges right now? What are the things that you're dealing with that for you, you know, might not be going that well or, or are difficult and you're trying to currently overcome? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, <laughs> it's like a whole slew of them. I mean, like I'm 24 and I've never done this and I'm working my best to figure it out, but there's the inevitable problems of just like expanding and like we have tripled our monthly revenue um, this year. And so there's wow. like all these like dependencies, like are your, are your systems good enough to handle that from how you're counting inventory and managing your inventory? And like, how does that affect cash flow? How much inventory on hand you need to have? And so that those things like cause a lot of problems um, and they're, they're really difficult ones to solve, but you use like investment and you manage debt and credit and equity, things like that. And then you have like the natural, and I wouldn't say that we've had a lot of issues with this, but there's like this natural difficulty in, in hiring people and expanding the team, um, especially in, in a young company, like each person you hire needs to be really good because they have a huge impact on the culture of the environment. So like we have, seven full-time employees right now um, all based in la yeah we're all we all work out of the same office awesome. um, yeah that's like we we really want to build a super strong culture and be like fighters and like um, just really good good people yeah so there's a lot of challenges um managing like ad spend is very hard because like as you scale um and especially if you're using a decent amount of paid media which we are then there's like the law of diminishing returns and it's like, how do you keep your CPA down while you scale really quickly? Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, I know that when, when I first reached out to you on LinkedIn, like a few months ago, you, you had mentioned that you were currently fundraising. Is that something that you can talk about right now or not really? Not, uh, not too much right now. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, all good. Uh, but just out of curiosity, I mean, have you raised any money to date yet, or or is this kind of like your first uh, official round? No, we've uh, we've raised about a million dollars so far, actually. Oh, awesome! From like yeah. a- mainly angels, like a seed round, friends and family. Angels, yeah, friends, family. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, so it's it's been really good. Um, fundraising is a beast, but. Yeah, it's um it's super rewarding. Like the one thing I can say on it is is that I love it. It's like very bittersweet for me because one, you know, there's like there's a lot of rejection in it, and even Tenzo, we have very good numbers and have a strong team and stuff, but there is a lot of rejection no matter what. And but through that rejection comes a lot of very valuable insights into your business from these very intelligent, smart people. Not all investors are smart, but a lot of them are. <laughs> And um, they'll tell you these things about your company and they'll give you these unique insights into the business that you, you can't normally get from just like talking to someone that's inside the business too much. But from an outsider's perspective, it looks a lot different. So they have a perspective that says like, I've looked at 2000 deals so far this year. How does this stack up against them? You know, and like what you should be expecting in terms of revenue growth and your cost per acquisition and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, I know. I, I, I totally get that, uh, especially now that I'm um, kind of working in the in the fundraising space. You know, it's you you see so many companies. A lot of the times, very strong. You know, they're 
they all have you know great aspects to them but then when you see so many others you're just constantly comparing and it's it's always like it's always a challenge you know there's no company that's like perfect for every investor whether it's you know uh institutional or or retail so uh very cool and um as we kind of are you know winding this down uh i'd love to ask like what is uh, your future uh, plans looking like for Tenzo T? This is a space where we typically see a lot of acquisitions. Yep. In terms, yeah, in terms of like, you know, I don't know if you've thought about this. We definitely have, but like, it might not be on, yeah. on the, uh, it might not be on the top of the priority list right now. But like, what do you see as the future of this company? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, this is a, a honestly, this is one of the most important questions that you can ask and. And founders, if you're starting a company, um, you really need to think about your end game in the very beginning because that's, that's going to provide a lot of context for the decisions that you make as you scale. And so, Tenzo, from the beginning, we've wanted to have some sort of exit. Um, most likely, as you said, like a lot of acquisitions in food and beverage. So that's the most likely course for us. It's to really scale revenue as quickly as we can, gain distribution and brand notoriety and then um, sell to one of the larger players and like a Coke, Pepsi, someone like that. And um, I think like one piece of advice I'd also give to founders that I learned from Marker and Pola again is that like you wanna start building these relationships really early. Um, and so you wanna start developing relationships with your end game acquirers. So like that's one thing that Mark did really well at Zika Water and that I really admire from him is that he made sure to foster the relationships with people at Pepsi and Coke early on so that when he hit 25 or 50, $50 million in revenue, he was ready to like think about making that jump and they were, they already knew him and trusted him and saw his growth from the beginning. Gotcha. That that's like an amazing point. I think uh, a lot of the times people uh, who are starting companies sometimes might like dismiss, uh, you know, selling to a certain company for some reason, but Having those meetings, talking to strategic uh, partners, investors is never a bad thing, um, especially people you know really early on who might not have much experience or thinking you know they might steal my idea or something like. A lot of the times, these companies rather just buy uh, a company like Tenza than like start the entire like matcha pro process from scratch themselves. Um, totally, but, uh, but awesome. This, and yeah, go ahead. This is that's like a running joke in the industry. It's like. Coke would rather they let all the entrepreneurs do all the hard work, let the, all the ideas fail. And when the best ones come up, they just buy them. It's like that's such a cheap way. Yeah. Out. I mean, they're, they're sitting on just money. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. like Coke sales might be decreasing like in the U S but it's ex like a lot of it is still happening in like other countries and, and they bought so many other companies yeah. that like no one knows is owned by like coke or, or pepsi so eco water honest tea suja they're involved in health aid it's like they're it's it's so amazing like what if you go to the grocery store like equipped with the knowledge that these a few of these holdings companies really just dominate like 70 percent of the shelf it's it's yeah. an unbelievable thing it's really impressive of them actually yeah for sure i mean it's, it's good foresight to know that you know this like sugar infused <laughs> water uh, essentially with like chemicals is not going to be your main uh, business for like you know hundreds of years and it's good you know that they're like obviously diversifying uh, but it's also kind of scary just to just to think about it like how just like how you said a couple companies just own pretty much everything we eat 
Um, yeah. I guess it is cool though that you have like you know startups and like independent companies you know doing their own thing uh, for at least a while. And so so kind of like since you you know are planning on this exit, do you know what you want to do after you you know have like that nine figure exit and uh, <laughs> and have like a bunch of money? Yeah, more companies. I mean more more like just like trying to help the world out man like that's why i'm i believe that's why i work really hard that's why i believe in tens so much and i really want to put myself in a position to help the world as much as possible and just give back i mean i think that's uh that's what makes me happy and that's what i love and so whether that's another company or just traveling and trying to figure out how to help some communities that are like less fortunate than than the u.s that'd be really great yeah that's awesome, and and uh, I mean it's a great way to to end this. And uh, I actually forgot to mention that you guys do have that charitable aspect uh, to your business, uh, where you actually donate clean water for every every bag purchase, which is uh, really really awesome. And, you know, it's like that is so motivating. If every time we sell more each month, we donate more. It's like yeah. uh, it's really good to have that inspiration behind what we do. So we're not just like money hungry entrepreneurs. Yeah. <laughs> Because we're not. Yeah, I mean, you guys are from LA. You seem really chill. <laughs> um, yeah. You're kind of about giving back. But uh, but awesome, Steve. Tell everyone who's listening the best way to connect with you personally, to learn more about Tenzo and, and where they can go and buy some. Yeah, so if you want to connect uh, personally, the, you can reach out to me um, on LinkedIn. You can also email me. I'm pretty good on email. Um, it's just steve at tenzot.co. Feel free to reach out anytime. And um, if you want to get some Tenzo Matcha, head to TenzoT.co. If you're in LA, pop by a cafe, coffee shop, juice bar, uh, any place like that. There you have it, guys. Uh, thanks again, Steve. Uh, it was really great talking with you. Thanks for having me, Ben. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, go rate and subscribe to the podcast. Even share it with your friends if you found the lessons valuable. We do the show every week, so stay tuned for more episodes. And till next time.